0: great to be um, speaking with you today and a a warm welcome from me as well to all of you joining from home and all of you here uh, in the building and uh, we're really excited to have these two services before lunch today 10 a.m and midday to enable some more people to get in the building which is really really exciting to see and it's exciting to come to the end of our Series on Isaiah 61, and we're looking to Isaiah 61, verse 10. And I just want to talk about how to find your gratitude and increase your joy. We all need joy, we look for joy, and I wonder where today, at the moment in your life, you're looking for joy. It's been a season in which lots of the things that we would normally look to to try and find joy have been harder to find. It's been harder to celebrate, harder to connect with loved ones. And it feels like at a time when we've needed joy more than ever, it's kind of escaped us a little bit. And that's why it's so exciting at the moment, Wimbledon starting, and Raducana like smashing topspin four hands down the line, and to see Harry Kane scoring again. All these things are kind of, it's like, oh yeah, that's what, There's a bit of joy. That's kind of, it kind of awakens you in your soul a little bit. And I think today everyone is looking for joy. Imagine if we stopped 100 people on the street outside today and we said to them, would you like a little bit more joy in your life? I think it would be rare that someone said, no, I'm all right, actually, I've got plenty. I think we're all looking for a bit more joy. But what distinguishes us as people is where we look for joy what we imagine when we think of joy and how we handle this desire for joy we have. And it feels like there's, there's a couple of options if we want more joy in our lives. One is to, uh, to say, well, actually, let, let's look at where we, you know, We want more joy. One way to get more joy is to improve my circumstances. If I can just get this, if I can just get a bit more status, a bit more increased income, maybe slightly better holidays, maybe live in a slightly nicer area, um, get rid of some of the things in my life that are causing hassle, if I can do that, then I'll be more joyful. But that makes our hopes of joy quite vulnerable to things which are outside of our control. And it also leaves us open to the fact that we might get some of those things and then find that they don't actually make us as joyful as we hope. So you can try and improve your circumstances. The other option is to lower your expectations. So to say, okay, life is difficult, it's really hard, it's going to be miserable 95% of the time, just keep going, just keep plugging on. You know, don't expect to experience much joy in life. It's a little bit like that quote from the Princess Bride. Life is pain, Your Highness. If anyone says anything different, they're selling something. You know, That's another way to go about it, to reduce your expectations. But the difficulty with that is it's not that inspiring. And also it raises the prospect, if we're always detaching ourselves from the emotional reality in which we're living, then when joy does finally come along, We might not even recognise it. We might have become hardened to it. So how do we find joy? Why do we long for joy if it's so hard to find and so vulnerable to our circumstances? Well, the first thing we see in this verse is that gratitude comes before joy. You'll know that the context is that the people have been in exile. They've been captives, they've returned to the city, and it is in ruins. And they're facing the shame and the despair of that. They're wrestling with grief and loss and trauma, actually. They're surrounded by destruction and devastation. And in that context, Isaiah prophesies, as we've heard, over them, These words of hope and promise for their future. And then we hear the Lord say that in his own voice, you hear the Lord say, I, the Lord, love justice, as we heard last week. And then we have these words that Isaiah responds speaking on behalf of the community who are still facing these difficulties, still facing these real challenges. The tense shifts from kind of anticipation of hope in the future to the very real present. Surrounded by ruins, I delight greatly in the Lord and my soul rejoices in my God for He has clothed me, arrayed me. It's not the circumstances surrounding Isaiah that make him delight. So, what enables him to rejoice? Rejoice before there's a change in the facts on the ground. Rejoice before the external circumstances seem to improve. To say, I will greatly delight. And not just his lips, but his innermost being. My soul rejoices. Seems that his joy is founded in his gratitude for who God is and what God has done. It's not his joy which makes him grateful, it's his gratitude which makes him joyful. There's a Benedictine monk who says, you know, so often we think it's the other way around, but actually gratitude comes before joy. I often think that when I get what I want, when I'm through this crisis, when life becomes a little bit more straightforward, when all my hopes are fulfilled, when things are just as I would have them be in my space, then of course, I'll be joyful. But so, often it doesn't. so often it doesn't work that way round. Uh, when I um, was training to be a barrister, there were 11 of us, Uh, kind of competing for one place and uh, it was a full-on year it was kind of a year of kind of job interviews and um, trying to do well in court and then trying to impress people back in the office it was quite stressful quite full-on and all through the year I thought if I can just get this job then I will be joyful for the rest of my days. Like, this is all I need, if I get this I'm going to be happy, nothing else I need ever again in my life. And on, on the day they made their decision, you, you had to kind of go and wait and then they phoned you. And I remember my phone ringing and I kind of picked up my phone and I answered it. This is how you answer a phone, just in case you haven't done that for a while. And it's uh, much easier to send a text these days. And, um, and uh, I, they said, Stephen, we, we, we'd, love, we'd love to offer you a place and just this feeling of elation came over me and I had to walk to the place where they all, they'd all booked this restaurant and I walked in and 50 people stood up and they cheered and they clapped and it felt like the best moment of life. I was like, this is all I need. I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life. And I was so buzzing. I was thinking, this is it. Joy overflowing forever. The next day I thought, I've got to share the joy. So I phoned first my mum, and um, I said, Mum, I've got great news. I've got a job as a criminal barrister. And, um, and she said, are, are you going to represent criminals? And I said, well, I mean, you know, I'm going to represent people accused of crimes. That's what a criminal barrister does. Um, but I, don't, I mean, I don't know if they're guilty or not. And she said, well, some of the people you'll be representing Will be criminals. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, they're accused of crimes. I mean, I can't exclude the possibility some of them might be guilty, but my role is to try and work that out. And she was like, well, Stephen, I'm not happy about that. And I was like, but that's kind of why I've been on this process. She's I'm not happy about you representing criminals. Boo! And I was like, oh. And, um, I thought oh that's a bit disappointing so I kind of thought I'll phone my little brother Paul he's always been a big ally supporter of me so I phone up Paul and um, he answers and I said Paul it's really exciting I've just been given a job um, as a criminal barrister he was like how much money are you going to get paid and um, I was like oh uh, I don't um, it's a good question I don't know actually he said well how could you not know how much you're going to get paid and I was like well uh, I just don't know exactly how much they're going to pay me he said what's your salary and I was like well I don't I, well, I don't have a salary. He's like, how can you not have a salary? And I was like, well, it's like, I guess technically, because I'm a barrister, I'm self-employed, so, so I, I, he said, you're self-employed? And I was like, yeah. And he said, Steve, how can someone give you a job if you're self-employed? That's <laughs> basic law. I should be the barrister. And I was like, oh, that's a good point, Paul. You know, it's like, and I came over to the course thinking like, oh, a little bit lower, not quite as full of joy, kind of like, you know, and then, I, and then something else happened. There was a crisis and something went wrong on a case and someone else said something unkind. And by the end of the week, this joy that I thought would have sustained me for the rest of my life had dissipated in just five days. So often it's like that in life. Joy that's founded on temporary circumstances dissipates. So what do we do? Well, I think it's a little bit like this. This is how we think about it. Um, so uh, this, is my, this is my visual illustration of joy here. And... Um, Here we are, just wheeling on. There we are. It's actually got joy written on it, but it's my handwriting, so you might not be able to see it. And um, what we often think is we think, okay, there's joy, I want joy, and when I've got lots of joy in my life, then I'll be grateful. And um, and so we we put all our hopes for. Whoops feel like I've got everyone's attention in the room. Um, I, you put all our hopes for joy, um, our hopes and gratitude on our joy. But the difficulty is it's a little bit unstable. It's not very easy for us to influence. Can't necessarily bear the weight of all our expectations and hopes. And even if we did get on top of it, it might not sustain us. So um, it doesn't quite work. Um, but gratitude is different. See, I can influence gratitude, you know, I can be as I was standing in the midst of ruins and yet choose to be grateful. I can establish myself on gratitude, that's secure, I can stand on gratitude and say, no, that's right, things might not make sense, I might be surrounded by ruins, things might have gone terribly wrong, my relationships might be falling apart, I might be confused about what's going on at work, this might all look like there's no hope. But I can choose to be grateful, even in the midst of the storm, for who God is, for what he has done in my life. And out of that place of establishing myself and gratitude, that enables joy to well up inside. So that's your kind of little visual illustration there. And it's fascinating how even in secular studies, uh, this is shown. So... Uh, The Harvard Medical School, I was reading a study this week, as you do, you probably do, as you do, uh, uh, where people asked, they a whole big group of people, they asked to write just a couple of lines in a journal each day, and they split them into three groups. The first group was asked to write things they're grateful for, you know, two or three lines every day for months second group was asked to write two or three lines on what really irritated them on life. Uh, The third group was asked to write anything. And what they found, this study found, uh, that the first group, after just a month, experienced greater optimism, felt more joy in their life. And then I find this fascinating, actually visited the doctors less compared to the other two groups. And in their conclusions, I find this fascinating, Harvard Medical School said that faith, if you're a person of faith then deciding to pray on a daily basis might help you cultivate gratitude in your life. Harvard telling you to pray. The um, University of Pennsylvania, they took 411 people and they asked them to write and to personally deliver a letter of gratitude to someone they had never previously thanked. Those people experienced significant increases in their health in their emotional well-being, the benefits of which lasted over a month. It's fascinating. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. He's not looking at his circumstances and trying to work out God's character from the ruins which are surrounding him. He's looking... God's character and then using that to interpret the circumstances in which he's faithful that God is faithful that he is good that he is merciful that once he's taken hold of you he's not going to let go of you that you can trust him even when your life looks like it's in ruins because he restores he renews and he redeems and though things might not be as I wished or hoped or prayed right now I can establish myself on a footing of gratitude for who God is in him in him. You can stand in the midst of great achievements and status and success and not feel grateful and you'll find that joy escapes you. You can stand in the midst of ruins and dissipation and struggle and disappointment and in spite of that feel grateful and that will lead you to joy. Gratitude comes before joy. But then the second thing we see is that awareness comes before gratitude. Um, you, you know, how, do, how do you be grateful? Well, how do you do that? Well, Practically, it often said that the things you can take things with gratitude, or you can take things for granted, and it's so important to remind ourselves to become aware again of the things we have to be grateful for. And we have this little tradition as a family uh, that on a Saturday night we have kind of like a family tea together, and uh, we we what we do is we go round and we take it in turns to say what we've been thankful for that week. So, you know, we start and go round and, and then um, we make up one for Esther because she's only two. But then when we keep going around the table and, and we go around basically until we run out of things that we can think of to say thank you for. And as we do that, it's like the joy rises around the table. It's so important to remind ourselves of what we have to be thankful for and as I delights and is joyful, for, because the Lord has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. He's clothed, there's just a sense of awe in these words. He has clothed me, the Lord of all. The Lord who created the universe has clothed me with garments of salvation and we know we can experience this through Jesus that he has done this for us by his blood shed on the cross that because he knew the shame of nakedness we might be covered in garments of salvation that he knows us to the bottom of our souls all of the good all that we're proud of and push to the surface and try and impress people with and all of the bad, all that we're ashamed of and try and bury and hide. He knows to the bottom of our souls and yet loves us to the skies. But he doesn't expose us. He covers over our sin with garments of salvation. And sometimes that's hard to believe. Sometimes we're more aware of other things that people might say about us, things that we ourselves might clothe ourselves with You know, our insecurities, our doubts, our comparisons, our fears. It's powerful to remind ourselves that this truth is greater, is truer than anything else. That first and foremost, when you place your trust in Jesus, he clothes you with salvation. And there's a tenderness to this. It's deeply personal. It's not like Jesus kind of takes us one by one and hoses us down with a fire extinguisher. Like, let's get all the muck off you right next. Let's get all the muck off you next. It's not like that at all. He clothes you with garments of salvation as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself. With jewels. The Lord, the sovereign Lord who rules and reigns in the universe, clothes you with salvation with the same care and tenderness as a bride gets ready on her wedding day. Clothes you with garments of salvation, clothes you with freedom, dresses you with love, puts restoration onto you that you might know that you are forgiven, redeemed, that you are free, that you are healed, that you are whole. That's a greater reality than anyone else's opinion of you. That's truer than your failures. It's a reality more resilient than your mistakes. Sometimes people spend their whole lives trying to get away from something someone has said about them or spoken over them trying to feel free, trying to feel forgiven. Let the Lord clothe you afresh today with garments of salvation. And if that was it, that would be enough to be joyful about forever. But that's not it. He doesn't just do that. He also arrays you in a robe of his righteousness. What does that mean? Well, a robe of his righteousness means all the glory, all the honour, all the beauty, all the faithfulness, all the combined honour of who Jesus is and what he has done. That he might give that to you. That you're not just forgiven, you're given a status and an honour that is greater than you can ever imagine. So Matt's going to come and help me demonstrate this. Matt, come up. Our drummer today, would you welcome Matt? (laughs) So I want you to imagine, um, just imagine that Matt and I met for the first time when I was working as a criminal barrister. And Matt had smuggled in kind of 30 kilos of cocaine and um, been stopped at the border. And that's, I mean, that's never happened, has it, Matt? No, you've never smuggled that much cocaine into the country. And, um, and so, you know, Matt has to plead and, um, and I do my best and I argue on his behalf. And he gets 12 years, 12 years in prison, which is actually a very good result. You are very lucky. And, um, and, uh, and so, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just there and I'm thinking, it's just not right. I just want to do something for my. I, I feel like he's got his whole life ahead of him. And I just feel deeply moved. And I think, do you know what? going, And I try and persuade the judge. I go before the judge and I say, judge, I know it's completely out of line but but could I do the 12 years for him would you let me do that would you let me do the 12 years for him so the judge because it's a Friday is up for anything so the judge says okay I'll let you do the 12 years for him so the judge lets me take his punishment and therefore Matt having faced 12 years in prison goes free so that would be a little bit like me kind of clothing him with garments of salvation. Suddenly he's free, and I take the kind of 12 years for him. But then what if I said, well, wait a minute, I, Matt, Matt's going to come out of prison. He's, he's done a bit of time on remand. How's he going to establish himself? I want him to live a life of purpose and meaning. I want him to have honour and status, and not just to be marginalised or looked down. And then what if I thought, actually, there was a way that I could not just do his punishment for him, but I could give him any honour any status that I had accrued over the years, years studying law, years at law school, years working as a barrister, if I could give that to Matt and pass that on to him, then what I would be doing would be arraying him in a robe of my righteousness. There we are. And he would carry any status or honour that I had earned or deserved, and just for fun, a wig as well. So, um, <laughs> then that Matt—it's not just garments of salvation; it's a robe of righteousness. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you to Matt. <laughs> when the Father looks at you, sees you through the lens of His Son, through the honor that Jesus has, through the beauty He has, and He gives that to you. And you know, there's no greater honor in the universe. And that's of huge significance. You know, Jesus bore the dishonour of the world so that you might be robed with the honour of his righteousness. That makes a difference. You know, you might be here and you might be thinking, you might be watching at home and you might be thinking, I, I, I want to make a real difference with my life. That's a great thing to want to do. But what's going to drive you? What's going to drive you to do that? If the foundation of your drive is an insecurity or needing to prove yourself or make a name for yourself, there's going to be a fragility to everything you do. But if you know that the greatest prize you can ever win has been won for you, the greatest distinction that you could ever attain in life has been given to you, the greatest status that you could ever inclined to is offered to you is yours. If you really believe that then it means that you'll be able to handle power with gentleness. It means that you'll be creative to take risk because you're not obsessed with the fear of failure. It means that you'll be able to hold your integrity where many might waver and fall back. It means you'll have a courage to stand for Jesus even when it costs you because your ultimate status is secure. It's not up for grabs. It's not dependent on what others say. And because of that, you'll have a joy that won't be touched by others because the greatest thought you could ever face has been fought for you. And your joy is founded in a different place. Your peace isn't there to be stolen. And that means you can stand in the midst of a ruins of a city, in the ruins of your hope, in the disappointment of all that, and say, I delight greatly my soul rejoices in my God for He has clothed me with salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness. In Jesus' name, Amen.